Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. I'm thrilled you joined us today. Today's a milestone here. This is the 100th episode of Open Your Eyes. You know, this started in the beginning as a way to share a few thoughts and hope that it could help a few people see their purpose in life and gain a few insights as to how to live happier and better. And here we are with tens of thousands of listeners and 100 episodes under our belt. And as we prepared for today's episode, you know, I felt a bit inspired to share the message that you'll hear today. Perhaps there's someone, maybe you, who needs what we'll talk about. And I hope it gives you some hope. And when you're done listening, I hope that you leave with a few insights and a mindset to think and live better. And if that happens today, then feel free to copy the link to this podcast and share it with a friend. They'll be grateful you thought of them, and it just may be what they need in their life today. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about finding your true worth. Now, there are a few $3 billion actors in Hollywood, but not many. Those whose films have made that much money in sales. And one of them is Bruce. Bruce was born in Germany. His mother was German and his father, a U.S. serviceman stationed there. And after being discharged from the army, his father relocated the family to New Jersey. And that's where Bruce would spend his childhood. Jersey was blue collar through and through. And so was Bruce's family. His mother worked at a bank, and his father was a welder, master mechanic, and factory worker. As Bruce grew up and developed and started to attend high school, something wasn't as developed, his ability to speak. He said, I could hardly talk. It took me three minutes to complete a sentence. It was crushing for someone who wanted to express themselves, who wanted to be heard and couldn't. It was frightening. Bruce stuttered. And stuttering is more common than you think. About 5% of kids will stutter at some point in their life. You know, speech development is, of course, part of brain development. And the human brain is still developing as a teenager. One researcher described our brain as a large, intricate, woven blanket with lots of threads and patterns. And sometimes one of those threads gets woven in the wrong place, and it takes time to rethread the brain's tapestry. And this is what happened to Bruce. So how did he overcome his stuttering? Well, he became funny. His high school teacher said, at an age when most boys were finding their feet, Bruce had a hard time. His stammering was a problem. And in the end, he began to compensate for it by his humor and antics. And eventually, Bruce discovered that in front of an audience, he could overcome his disability. This happened in drama class. That's where he found his voice. Somehow when he acted, he didn't stutter. His brain didn't see reciting lines as speaking, and soon reciting lines enabled him to learn to speak more clearly. However, Bruce graduated from high school with no definite decision to become an actor. As a stuttering youth with poor grades and a family that couldn't fund a college education, Bruce worked around town and saved money. But it had been in drama class where he had found his voice and he wanted to get that feeling back. That's where he found his true worth. So after working in his family's long line of blue collar jobs, including a private security guard, 
Bruce enrolled at Montclair State College in New Jersey, which had a noted drama program. It was there that a drama professor, Jerry Walkwood, was impressed by Bruce and encouraged him to seek a speech therapist, and this changed his life. His work in school led him to a role in an off-Broadway play. And when Hollywood director Glenn Karen was looking for a lead role in a television detective series, Karen put the word out that they'd be taking auditions. Thousands of actors applied. And Karen was through the auditions of about 500 actors when he came across Bruce. The script called for a quirky, wisecracking detective, and that was not a natural thing for most of those auditioning. However, Bruce's stuttering and the problems in high school made him quirky, and it was the outcome of years of antics and covering his stammering that built Bruce Willis into the character the TV show needed. He also knew a little bit about being a private detective, and he was hired. The show was named Moonlighting, and it was extremely popular, and from there, Willis would be cast in a large number of Hollywood films and rise to fame. For the past several years, Bruce has shown signs of dementia, and recently the world learned that he has frontotemporal dementia, which can include aphasia. This disease is in the same category as Alzheimer's, but much less common, and the cause seems to be genetic. One form of the disease causes nerve loss in the areas of the brain that controls empathy, judgment, and conduct. The other deteriorates parts of the brain that controls speaking, writing, and comprehension. And Bruce has been diagnosed with the language variant, which leaves him unable to use or understand language. Now, many of you listening to this podcast have dealt with Alzheimer's in your family or life and know a bit of what it's like. But I can hardly imagine what it would be like at my age to lose the ability to understand language. Your world would go from full of imagery and learning to almost nothing. And for someone like Bruce, it's incredibly ironic that he spent his youth trying to learn how to communicate only to have it taken away later in life. You know, the truth is that life sometimes takes away what we've worked so hard to achieve. Sometimes marriages are taken away. Children, opportunity, business, jobs, and friends are lost. And some of these things happen due to our choices, and sometimes they're entirely out of our control. And through these losses and challenges and struggles, it's easy to ask, what is the purpose of this happening in my life? I know that I've had similar questions at times in my life. And with every loss and challenge, it seems that we get to choose to be buried by it or built by it. And in my life, I'm starting to see that we are meant to be built by it. I believe that God has a purpose, and that includes helping us build a character, a person of extreme worth. And to do so, it often takes extreme trials to help us become who we're supposed to become. Some people may dismiss this belief, but I've talked to too many people and seen too much to believe anything but the fact that God does have a purpose and our trials are part of that purpose. You know, there's an overused quote from C.S. Lewis, but its frequent use may have much to do with its fitting truth. Lewis wrote, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. 
he's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts, and it doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting up an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. The point. Your true worth. Who you're meant to become is sometimes found in the difficult, the trials that life brings our way. On July 11th, a typical summer day with blue sky and sunshine, Ramona, her husband Scott, and her two young sons were barbecuing with their neighbors in their backyard. The day had been wonderful, and Ramona was about to get ready to head off to her 3 to 11 p.m. shift as a nurse. All of a sudden, she heard someone yell, There's a child pinned under your garage door. Scott ran into the garage to try and get the automatic garage door off the child, and she ran into the house to call 911. The child under the door was their son, Joshua. The problem was this is before the time when garage doors were made from lighter weight materials, and their garage door was wood and metal, and Scott was unable to lift the garage door off of his son by himself. It took a little time, but soon neighbors came running, and the combined strength of everyone lifted the door up far enough to allow Josh to be pulled out from under the weight of the door. The problem was Josh had not been breathing and did not have a pulse. Scott yelled for help, and Ramona began performing CPR frantically, waiting for the ambulance to arrive. Josh's breathing and heartbeat were restored, but doctors did not know if he would live. And if he did live, it was unclear if he would be normal, as the lack of oxygen likely had caused brain damage. Josh had been without oxygen for several minutes. Well, Josh was placed in the ICU, and after six weeks, he started to breathe on his own, but remained unconscious. Finally, he slowly regained consciousness, and it was obvious that Josh had severe brain damage. The doctor told Scott and Ramona it was possible that Josh wouldn't walk or talk again, and his ability to attend school was unknown. Well, the news was unbelievable to Ramona and Scott. Nothing in their life plans included something like this. Ramona said, We were young, untrained, and unprepared for the drastic changes and extreme challenges that came uninvited into our relatively calm life. Even though I was a nurse and thought I knew what to expect, I was wrong. We were completely overwhelmed. So they started on the path of learning to care for Josh. Every day, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech and cognitive therapy. And Josh was back where he was as a baby, needing to be fed, diapers, and other needs. Family and neighbors helped, but it was overwhelming for Ramona, who still worked to support the family. She said, occasionally, I would wonder why this had happened to a small, fragile four-year-old boy and to me and to our family. Her question is a good question. Why? Why did this happen? Why do difficult things happen to us? With Josh grown now, here's what Ramona says. While the road was and is hard and long, it has been a little over 30 years since Joshua's accident. 
The experience, although something I would never want to happen to anyone, has been one of improvement. We have learned patience and love. And as the day-to-day challenges present themselves to us, we realize that they're not that large. And although they are sometimes inconvenient and poorly timed, we're able to overcome them and move forward. Now, when the occasional major stumbling block shows up on our doorstep, we face it head on and realize it's not as difficult as what we have already been through. The refiner's fire burns bright. And it's up to us to decide if it will consume us or mold us into something new, something better, something great. You know, I love Ramona's perspective. And by the way, Josh has grown married and living a happy life. But here's what I know. God knows what the future holds for each of us. He can see the future and he can see who you are going to become. And he knows us as our future selves. In other words, the future you is before him now. He knows the kind of remodeling in your life and in mind that we need to go through to become someone of incredible worth. He knows what you need to become the future you who is exponentially better and wiser and able than the you that you see today. So here's my point. Whatever you're going through today, if your challenges are big or small, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're experiencing, keep your head about you. Keep your hope. God is about his work in your life. And things may seem impossible, I know. But you're being molded and refined into the person you are to become. And the same goes for your children. And as Ramona said, you get to decide. It can consume you or mold you into something new, something better, something great. You know, in the scripture is a wonderful lesson. There's a well-known metaphor of the potter and the clay, which teaches the point of this podcast. The scripture reads, But now, O Lord, we are the clay, and thou art potter, and we are all the work of thy hand. There is great peace when you believe that there is purpose in the molding and shaping of your life, like clay in the hand of the master potter. It enables you to open your eyes and look for the purpose in the pain that you're experiencing. The scripture then adds this incredibly enlightening message from Jeremiah, who invites us into the potter's house and describes the potter's work. And behold, he, the potter, wrought a work on the potter's wheels, and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so ye are in God's hand. So you and I can visualize the potter working on a pot, and the clay isn't able to be formed perfectly so. The potter regrinds the clay, reworking it and preparing it for another attempt to form the pot it is meant to become. Likewise, you and I sometimes need a bit of regrinding to help us become who we're supposed to become. And I genuinely believe that you are meant to do incredible things in life that we collectively can change the world or at least make it a better place for a lot of people. We can enhance the lives of people around us. We can give hope to our teams, raise better children, make our community stronger. We are of great worth. 
But to do so in these incredible ways, you and I must be willing to learn from and grow in our failures, our challenges, and the difficult things that life has planned for us. Most of the knowledge we are to gain in life doesn't come from universities or degrees. It comes from the afflictions and trials that we experience. And here's the thing. When we experience challenges, there are opposing forces telling us to quit, to give in to discouragement, to feel insignificant. And this temptation to lose your self-worth or your hope or your purpose is simply wrong and comes from the wrong source. And if I've seen anything in life, I've seen just how much we underestimate the contribution that we can make in the world. If you're in the midst of a trial, don't give in to discouragement. Keep trying. Every day, keep your faith. God will have his way with you, and his way leads to an amazing and worthwhile outcome that is likely beyond what you think possible. Don't quit. You can do what you're being asked to do. Stay in the game with all your heart, and you will see your worth, your strength will be evident by and by. When I was younger, I heard a wonderful speaker share this simple story that I have always remembered. An old cowboy said that he learned life's most important lessons from Hereford cows. All his life, he had worked cattle ranches where winter storms took a heavy toll on the herds. Freezing rains whipped across the prairies. Howling, bitter winds piled snow into enormous drifts. Temperatures might drop quickly to below zero degrees. Flying ice cut into the flesh. And in this maelstrom of nature's violence, most cattle would turn their backs to the iced blasts and slowly drift downwind mile upon mile. Finally, stopped by a boundary fence, they would pile up against the barriers and die by the scores. But the Herefords acted differently. Cattle of this breed would instinctively head into the wind. There they would stand shoulder by shoulder facing the storm's blast, heads down against the onslaught. You always found the Herefords alive and well, said the cowboy. I guess it's the greatest lesson I ever learned on the prairies. Just face life's storms. So, Face life storms that come your way with the confidence that the storm will eventually end and there is sunshine coming your way. On December 26th, at the age of 21, Art Berg was soon to be married and was driving across the Nevada desert. He had just celebrated Christmas with his family in San Jose and was headed to spend the rest of the holidays with his fiancée, Dallas. They were to be married in five weeks' time and the upcoming days were sure to be filled with wedding details. Most of all, he was excited to enter his new life. After eight hours of driving, Art turned driving duties over to his friend John, climbed into the passenger seat, put on his seatbelt, and went to sleep. He was exhausted. One and a half hours later, 40 miles north of Las Vegas on I-15, Art suddenly woke up when he felt the little car dramatically swerve. John had fallen asleep and lost control of the car. The little Volkswagen they were driving was headed directly into a cement barrier. On impact, the car flipped several times as it tumbled off the side of the road. And when the car came to a stop in a pile of twisted metal and broken glass, John looked over to the passenger seat to check on Art. But he wasn't there. So John pulled himself through a broken window, 
and called out for Art. There was no answer. He just heard the wind blowing in the dark desert night. On his hands and knees, John groped through the thick darkness, calling Art's name. And after a few minutes, he heard some faint groaning. When he finally found Art, blood was streaming down Art's face. John asked if he was okay. And Art said, I don't think so. And Art slipped into unconsciousness. What Art eventually learned was he had broken his neck at the fifth vertebrae from the top. Doctors had fused three vertebrae together, and the first thing the doctor said to Art when he woke up was, Art, you are a quadriplegic. What that meant was Art had no use of his legs. He had lost the use of his stomach muscles. He lost the use of his hands and most of his arms. He had use of some of his shoulder muscles, upper left arm muscles, and one of his three major chest muscles. But the doctor told him the facts. You will always need help getting dressed, to eat, to move from place to place. You will never drive, never work again, and like 93% of people in your condition, you will need constant support. You won't play sports, marry, or have children. A few days later, the doctor told Art he was going to put a halo on Art. A halo is a one-inch wide metal ring that encircles the head. Four three-inch screws hold the halo in place, by screwing the screws into the skull. Well, after receiving the halo and facing his grim future, Art struggled to come to terms with what had happened to him. Why did this happen? How could he ever move forward paralyzed as he was? Now, I don't know about you, but I think all of us at some point in life feel a bit paralyzed, sometimes by our habits or circumstances or past choices, and we may even say, why? Or how can I move forward from here? And I know I felt that way at times. Sometimes life just isn't fair, and sometimes it's hard to see beyond our current situation. And if you felt that way, then we can take a lesson from Art. During the first few months of his recovery, Art just kept asking why. He wanted to blame someone. He was in a deep emotional rut with no escape. Then he went to a wedding of a friend. His fiance Dallas and John were both there. During the ceremony, Art looked at Dallas and she at him, both thinking of their own marriage that was tragically interrupted. They started to cry. Then something happened. Art looked at John, and John was weeping. Up until that point in time, Art had been so focused on himself that he hadn't really considered John's pain. Of course, John felt responsible. And the minute Art looked outside of himself, he found strength. He realized that he'd been given a unique chance to help people in pain to know how to leave their own paralysis behind. And he decided that no matter what, he would not let what had happened to him define him. Well, it was several years later when I met Art Berg, and by that time, Art had married Dallas, and they were the parents of two children. Art had set a world record as a quadriplegic by completing an ultramarathon in his wheelchair in record-setting time. He was a best-selling author, successful business owner, and accomplished motivational speaker. But of all the qualities I learned from Art, it was his response to what happened to him, his ability to see God's hand in his life, and his humility to stick with the course in life that had been given to him that impressed me the most. Before his death from an adverse reaction to medication, 
Art was awarded the Consummate Professional Speaker of the Year Award and the International Humanitarian of the Year Award. Art left a legacy of humility and faith. It's not what happens to us. It's what we do with what happens to us that matters. Now, one more perspective that may help us all who are struggling to know our true worth. If we could at this time shrink the Earth's population to a village of precisely 100 people, with all existing human ratios remaining the same, it would look like this. There would be 57 Asians, 21 Europeans, and 14 from the Western Hemisphere, North and South, and 8 Africans. 51 would be female, 49 male. 70 would be non-white, 30 white. 70 would be non-Christian, 30 Christian. 50% of the entire world wealth would be in the hands of only six people, and all six would be citizens of the United States. 70 would be unable to read. 50 would suffer from malnutrition. 80 would live in substandard housing and only one would have a college education. When one considers our world from such a compressed perspective, those of you on this podcast would be one of the elite few. Around the world today, there are a lot of people wishing, praying, and hoping for the life you have today. We all have trials and struggles, and we have loss, but we have an opportunity like no others to change our view to a view outside of ourselves and be grateful and hopeful. For several years, I worked alongside Dallin and got to know him well. Here's his lesson in life. His wife, April, was expecting their third child, and they went to an ultrasound appointment to see whether they were having a boy or a girl. And they learned they were having a son, but they also discovered some heartbreaking news. Their baby had severe physical complications. Their son was missing a large portion of his brain, his skull wasn't properly shaped, and the doctors weren't even sure that he would live. Later, they would get the news that their son didn't have a right eye. They prayed and sought to understand why this had happened to them. Their son Caleb survived his birth, and it became evident immediately that Caleb would be unable to develop in his life. He would never feed himself or even be able to hold his head up on his own. Dallin said, I remember being terrified as we walked out of the hospital with our little boy to take him home. The number of machines and medical equipment we needed to sustain his life was overwhelming. The possibility of losing him was a constant fear. Simply feeding him required extraordinary effort because he needed to eat every three hours. The process to eat took one hour to complete, and we wondered how we would keep ourselves alive let alone our fragile son. Well, Daniel continues, April purposefully chose hope and trust in God. To her core, she is happy and optimistic. And with God's help, she took what could have been a terrifying trial and reshaped it. She took a corner of heaven and pulled it right down into our home, opening it up for all to enjoy. Every day became a celebration with Caleb. She made him a birthday cake after his first week, cupcakes for his second week, cookies for his third week, and so on. She celebrated everything about Caleb, for every day was truly a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience for the boy who was sent home from the hospital without hope. His missing eye became a source for hope. 
April explained to the other children. Caleb was winking, and a wink meant, I love you. Don't worry, April would say. He will just wink at us every day. Well, Caleb lived for seven incredible years, and Dallin became a different man in the process. What he learned and how he opened his eyes to a new perspective is amazing to me. After his son's death, Dallin would say, All this time I had thought that we were taking care of Caleb. But in reality, God through Caleb had been taking care of us. God was making a miracle where I hadn't expected one. He was performing a miracle on me, on my wife, on our kids, and all those who came into contact with Caleb. Having Caleb in our home was an honor and a privilege. It was also a sacred experience. So, as we end today, remember that you and I and all of us are work in progress. The circumstances we're experiencing in life are here for a purpose, and it's our job to seek to find and fulfill that purpose. And while the purpose of all things that happen to us are not fully evident right now, they will be known and are known by your Maker. Keep the faith. Do what you can. Be hopeful and you will see the purpose revealed and rise to your true worth in life. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become. Mm -hmm.